Let us pray. O God, because your abiding presence always goes with us, keep us aware of your daily mercies, that we may live secure and content in your eternal love. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Please be seated. So, I have something to show you. Actually, several things to show you. Now, this is a picture drawn by my daughter Ivana years ago. This is a picture of Thumper. Okay, Thumper was our dog until she passed away a number of years back. And all of us in the family took care of Thumper, but probably more than anyone else, it would be uh, my wife and I. Our two daughters helped out some. But we made sure that Thumper went to the dog doctor. Okay, we made sure Thumper got her shots and her flea treatment. We bought the best food for her, food that was not only, I hope, tasty, I haven't tried it, but good for her as well because we love Thumper. I would take her on walks. I would make sure, along with my daughters, that, that she got her water and had plenty of that. So we just poured a lot of energy into caring for Thumper, and, and, and we should, right? Now, let me show you something else. Now, these are my daughters. Okay, this is Anna. And this is Ivana. These were their high school pictures. And let me ask you this question. Do you think that I love them any less than I loved Thumper? No, I'll, I'll tell you this. <laughs> I spent a lot more money on them <laughs> than I have on Thumper. I've spent a lot more time with them than I have with Thumper, and, and that's only right, you see. I mean, Thumper was a member of the family. We'll see her in heaven, by the way, and if you don't believe me, read Romans 8, okay? Uh, 18 and following. But these are my daughters, and I'm their dad. And you darn well bet you I'm going to take good care of them. And I still try, though the role changes as the children grow older and they leave home. Your role as a parent changes, but you never stop being a parent. And, and you know, that's really a lot like our Heavenly Father. Our, our Heavenly Father takes care, and Jesus talks about this in our Gospel reading, 
Our Heavenly Father takes care of the smallest birds, the sparrows, you know, and in, in, in Israel, the sparrow, I think, is probably about the smallest bird there is. And God takes real intensive care of those little guys, all right? And so Jesus says, how much more will he care for you? And, and, and he does. And he sent his son to die for us. We are made in God's image. The sparrows aren't. Thumper isn't. And yet God still loves and cares for them. How much more does he love and care for you? So much that he sent his son to die for you. And by the way, he redeems all creation in his death. All creation. That includes Thumper. That includes your dog or cat, whatever you have at home, as part of the family. But how much more does he love us being our true Father in heaven? And he demonstrates it. Not only by caring for us every single day, which he does, but by caring for us for eternity and sending his son to ensure a place in heaven for you and for me. We thank God for such a father as we have. In Jesus' name, amen. And we sing the Testament reading is from Jeremiah 27 through 13. O Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me, for whenever I speak, I cry out. I shout violence and destruction, for the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. If I, say, <clears throat> if I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were a burning fire, shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, I can, and I cannot. For I hear many whispering, terror is on every side. Denounce him, let us denounce him, say all my close friends watching for my fall. Perhaps he will be deceived. Then he will convince, overcome him and take our, our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me as a dread warrior. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me. They will be greatly shamed, for they will, will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord of hosts, who tests the righteous, who sees the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them, for, you, for to you have I committed my cause. Sing to the Lord, praise to the Lord, for he, ha was, he has delivered the life of the needy from the hand of the evildoers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle is from Romans 
6, 12 through 23. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of, for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have, been over, who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. What then are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace. By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one who, who you, whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or, obe- or of obedience, which leads, leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms before, because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, and it ends eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 10th chapter. Glory to These twelve Jesus sent out after instruction, instructing them, Do not go in the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter any city of the Samaritans. Brother will betray brother to death, and father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. But it is not but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. But whenever they per- persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house, 
how much more will they mal malign the members of the house of his household? Therefore, do not fear, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet none of them, not one of them, will fall to the ground apart from their, your father. But their very hairs of your head, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. There are more. They are more value. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will confess. I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. This is the gospel of the Lord.
gracious God, as the rain falls down from heaven and waters the earth and does not return to you without making the earth bud and flourish, so your word, which goes forth from your mouth, will not return to you empty, but it will accomplish what you desire. It will succeed in the matter for which you have sent it. May your word have its way, we pray, in every heart this day, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Here's an apple. Now let's say this apple cost 25 cents. How much will it cost me if I buy two apples? 50 cents, right? How much would I pay if I bought three apples? 75 cents, right? Very good. Plus tax. <laughs> oh, food doesn't have tax, okay. All right, thanks, Paul. Um, <laughs> so, n notice this. As the number of apples increases, the amount of money I pay increases as well. The number of apples is directly proportional to the amount I pay, you see. So, if A goes up, B goes up as well. That's direct proportionality. Now, here's a bag. If I put one apple in the bag, the bag gets a little heavier. If I put second apple in the bag, it gets heavier still. You see, the number of apples in the bag is directly proportional to the weight of the bag. Number of apples goes up, the weight goes up. Now consider this. Let's say I have a meeting in Indianapolis. So I'm going to drive to Indy. I can drive at 60 miles an hour. Or I could drive at 70 miles an hour. Now, if I increase my speed from 60 to 70, the amount of time it takes to get to Indianapolis doesn't go up unless there's traffic. The amount of time to travel goes down. You see, the speed at which I travel is inversely proportional to the amount of time it takes to travel. Okay? Or consider this. Let's assume I need to paint my living room. I'm one person. I don't work real fast. Let's say it takes me five hours, no, six hours to paint my living room. But I could ask my wife to help. That would be adding a person. And more than likely, that would reduce the time it takes, maybe by half, to paint the living room. So as the number of workers goes up, the amount of time it takes to paint goes down. So, the number of workers is inversely proportional to the amount of time it takes to paint. Now, here's the point. In our Gospel lesson for this morning, Jesus talks about two kinds of fear. The fear of people, on the one hand, and the fear of God, on the other. And here's my question to you. Are those two things, those two kinds of fear, fear of people, fear of God, 
are they directly proportional or are they inversely proportional to one another? Think about that. We're going to come back to it. In our gospel reading for this morning, three times in verses 26 to 31, it's kind of in the middle of your lesson, three times Jesus tells us not to fear people. And he gives us three reasons why we should not fear people. Roman number one in your sermon outline. Reason number one, we should not fear people. The truth will come out. The truth will come out. People think they can hide things and keep things hidden. But we can't. Okay. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with National Honesty Day. Anybody ever heard of that? Yeah. It's, it's April 30th. Yeah, I see April 1st is, what, April Fool's Day. That's kind of National Dishonesty Day. Um, April 30th is National Honesty Day. And, and here, here's the point of that holiday. You're supposed to be able to go up to someone on National Honesty Day and ask them a question, and they are supposed to give you an absolutely truthful, transparent answer. Because it's National Honesty Day, right? Now, I wonder how many people go into hiding on National Honesty Day because they don't want to be asked that kind of a question. Because, you see, truth is powerful. Truth is kind of scary when it comes out. I think it was Elvis Presley, that great philosopher, who said, truth is like sunshine. You can shut it out for a while, but it ain't going away. Letter A. Whatever is hidden today will be revealed tomorrow. The evil which we think we do in secret today will eventually come out into the open. There are no permanent secrets. There aren't any. Letter B. Do not fear to stand for truth today, for God will prove you right on the last day. He will prove you right on that day. You see, today... Our culture, and, and I think our media, view you and me, Christians, as the problem. We are viewed as obstacles in the way of progress with our outdated perspective. First of all, we believe in the sanctity of human life. We believe that abortion is murder. We believe that euthanasia is murder. And secondly, we believe that marriage is the union of one man and one woman for life. And we believe that that family arrangement provides children with the best, and not the only, but the best opportunity to flourish. And all of the sociological data backs us up on that. Now, these are not opinions. These are facts. These are truths that are rooted in scripture and affirmed by humanity throughout history. And yet, because we hold these truths, we're branded as deplorable, hateful people. But as Elvis said, you can shut out the truth for a while, but it ain't going away. 
and it won't. My friends, on Judgment Day, the world which resisted the truth for so long will be forced to confront the truth. The world will be able to see the truth that we proclaimed and that it opposed. And on that day, it will become clear to the world which dismissed us as deplorable that we really were children of God, saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. God will reveal to all the world that we have been saved not by works which we have done, not by our own presumed righteousness, but by the works of Christ on our behalf and by his righteousness alone. So don't be afraid of those who oppose you today. God will reveal to all who reject this gospel that by their rejection of the message, they only condemn themselves. Today will pass, and all with it. But the truth will remain, and those of us who are of the truth will remain as well. Roman numeral two, fear God or fear everything else. Those are your options. Look at verse 28. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul. The soul is, is your, it's your life. It's beyond the reach of those who oppose the gospel. But rather, fear him. By the way, the meaning of fear doesn't flip or change from one half of the verse to the next. The word fear means fear. It means to be afraid. But rather, fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Now, fear can have a range of meaning in the Bible, but here there's no doubt about what it means. To fear God is to recognize that he has authority over you and over your life. It reminds me of the scene in Mark chapter 4 where Jesus is in the boat with the disciples that are crossing the Sea of Galilee, and Christ is asleep. There's a furious storm that arises. The disciples fear for their lives. They awaken the Lord. Don't you care that we're perishing? Jesus, with a word, calms the storm, the wind and the waves, and then we read that the disciples were terrified because they ask, who then is this, that even the winds and the waves obey him? So, question. If you found yourself in the presence of someone like that, someone who had authority over life and death concerning you, how would you feel in the presence of that person? M might you feel uneasy, perhaps? Maybe a, a feeling of dread? You don't know what he might do. That's what I'm talking about. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is not all there is to know about God. It's not. But it's a start and a necessary one. Letter A. Fear of man is self-interested cowardice. 
Fear of God is a feeling of terror or dread. Terror or dread in light of one's sinfulness and God's holiness. I'm reminded of, of the scene, uh, the miraculous catch of fish. Uh, Jesus says, let down your nets for a catch. And Peter objects. He says, no, we've fished all night. We haven't caught a thing. But at your word, we'll let down the nets. And then, of course, they can't even pull the nets back in because there's so many fish in them. And what does Peter do? He drops to his knees. And he says, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. You see, that's the feeling of unease one should have. That's virtue in the presence of the Holy One. You may say, well, we shouldn't be afraid of God. I've heard people say this a lot. We shouldn't be afraid of God. God loves us. Well, let's go to letter B. Fear of and love for God go together. They go together. Number one, fear is the result of knowing what I deserve. It's knowing what I deserve before God. Now, we call that the law, pronouncement of the law, right? Number two, love is the result of knowing what I actually receive in Christ. What I receive in Christ is forgiveness. It is a life that never ends, a life that death cannot annul. I like the way Luther puts it in his explanation to the commands. We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. We should fear and love God so that we do not despise preaching and his word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. Fear and love go together like law and gospel are complementary. They have different functions, but they're both necessary functions. So number three, I cannot appreciate God's love until I acknowledge God's righteous wrath. God is rightly angry with me because of my sin. But in love he pours out his anger not upon me and not upon you, but upon his own beloved son. That's how much he loves you and me and the world. You see, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's not the end point. The end point of wisdom is love. God's love for us in Christ. But we can't appreciate that love. We can't embrace it for what it is until we understand the wrath of God and the fear of God. So let her see how does one follow the Lord and not the crowd. This is, this is the problem always facing us. It's always facing us. How do we do this? Well, number one, Jesus does not banish our fear by promising to keep us from death. To the contrary, those most faithful will be most likely to die. They'll be the first to die. Number two, the choice is not between courage and fear, but between whom one will fear most. Whom one will fear most. You see, the fear of people must be replaced by a higher fear. The fear of God and the fear of man are inversely proportional. When the fear of God increases, the fear of man decreases. And where the fear of man is increased, the fear of God is, is nearly absent. 
People love the approval of men more than the approval of God. We all struggle with this. The fear of God says I'm accountable to the higher power. And if I mess up, I face God's consequences. Maybe not in the next life, but in this life, I face the consequences of messing up. And God will not let me out of those consequences. But the fear of man says, I'm accountable to man. The fear of man says, man is my judge. And to fear man is to make an idol of man. And I love this quote, number three from uh, Frederick Dale Bruner. Only a serious fear of God and of what God is capable of doing, independent of what we think God should do, will carry a disciple through a world in which people are so imposing, in which people are so threatening and intimidating. Only a healthy fear of God will see you through. So Roman numeral three, you are never apart from your father, meaning you're never alone in this world. And our text proves that verse 29, letter A, God not only decrees the sparrow's fall, he accompanies it. He accompanies it. And you know, someone has said that Jesus must have loved animals because only someone who loved animals would bother to speak about God's care for animals. Nobody else talks about that, but Jesus does. Now, some translations of verse 29 read like this. Not one of them, meaning the sparrows, will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. Uh, you know, as if God just sort of phones it in. He's, he's involved in, in the sparrow's death, but only from a distance. But that's not what the text says in Greek. The text says, not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Now, God doesn't just know about the sparrow's fall. He doesn't just decree it. He accompanies the sparrow all the way down to the ground. That, that is to say, God is a detail person. He cares about even the smallest details of your life, as any good father should. And let it be, he cares about what he keeps track of. Every hair on your head is numbered. He cares about what he keeps track of. You do that too. You care about what you keep track of. You may keep track of your mileage so you can get reimbursed or so you can deduct it from your taxes. You may keep track of the sports scores because you care about your team. You may keep track of your retirement account. But you know, we always keep track of what we care about and that's true of God as well. You're never apart from your father's care. Like the sparrow, God may ordain that you die on a certain day, a certain hour, a certain moment. But God's care for you goes even beyond that. He not only knows when you die, he accompanies you in death. He accompanies you all the way through that doorway we call death. You are never alone. So to sum up, Jesus gives us three reasons why we should never fear people. Number one, the truths that we proclaim today will one day be proven right. Number two, 
As our fear of God increases, our fear of man will decrease. And number three, even though the world is a deadly place, we never die apart from our Father. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It is the end of cowardice. And that's important because of the last two verses in our Gospel reading for today. And this is the application now that Christ encourages us with. Verse 32, Therefore everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. That is to say, you and I will be put to the test. God will put us to the test. He will surround us with people who desperately want us to seek their approval rather than God's approval. God will test us with people who want us to say whatever pleases them rather than what we know pleases God. And you and I will pass this test. We will pass these tests for two reasons. Number one, because we know what God could do to us if we deny him. That's the fear of God on the one hand. And number two, because we know what God has already done for us on the other hand. That's the gospel. That's the love of God that is at work for us in Christ Jesus, crucified and risen for us, purchasing our heavenly home. It's done, you see. They can take away our human life, our temporal life, but not our very life, not our eternal life. And both of these realities are necessary for us to remain faithful to him. Both law and gospel are necessary for us to hold on to as we make our way through this world. Fearing and loving God is ultimately an issue of the heart. It's an issue of the heart. Because whatever comes out of the mouth now, in verses 32 and 33, whatever comes out of the mouth is the result of what is already inside you, what's already in your heart. Roman numeral 4, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Letter A, Hebrews 22, our hearts have been sprinkled clean by the blood of Christ. And it goes on to say, our bodies have been washed with pure water. Through Christ's work, we are clean outwardly and inwardly. The Old Testament covenant could not clean you inwardly, only outwardly, to appear in the temple to participate in those services back then. But now you are cleaned inside as well as outside, so you participate in the heavenly worship of God we call the divine service, where heaven opens, just like the architecture here. The roof opens up to heaven. Heaven opens for us when we gather around the Lord. We're equipped, we're saved by God to do that very thing. Let it be a heart, therefore, that fears and loves God cannot help but to confess publicly whatever Jesus has said. You can't help but do it. Once you understand the fear of God and the love of God, and it's the fear of God, remember, that makes the love of God so wonderful. We know what we deserve, but on the other hand, we rejoice in what we receive instead of what we deserve. 
Letter C, on the other hand, a heart that fears and loves man will deny publicly whatever Jesus has said. A heart that fears and loves people will tell people whatever people want to hear. And it will do whatever people want it to do. But a heart that fears and loves the Lord will speak what God wants spoken. And it will do what God wants done. My friends, as I've said, the fear of the Lord is not all there is to know about the Lord, but it is a beginning. It is the beginning of wisdom, and it, it is a beginning we must never forget, because the fear of the Lord, which comes to us in the law, prepares the way for the love of the Lord, which comes to us in the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds, through Christ Jesus, amen.